Good evening, little one. It's story time. We're going to read chapter 5 and 6 of The Secret Garden. So we're going to read chapter 5 first and take a little break. And then we're going to read chapter 6, okay? Let's get started. The next day, the rain poured down in torrents again. And, and when Mary looked out her window, the moor was almost hidden by gray mist and cloud. There could be no going out today. What do you do in your cottage when it rains like this? She asked Martha. Try to keep from under each other's feet, mostly, Martha answered. There does seem a lot of us. Mother's a good-tempered woman, but she gets fair and moithered. The biggest ones go out in the cow shed and plays there. Dixon, he doesn't mind the wet. He goes out just the same as if the sun was shining. He says he sees things on rainy days as doesn't show when it's fair weather. He once found a little fox cub half drowned in its hole. Then he brought it home in the bosom of his shirt to keep it warm. Its mother had been killed nearby and the hole was swum out and the rest of the litter was dead. He's got it home now. He found a half-drowned young crow another time and he brought it home and tamed it. It's named Soot because it's so black and it hops and flies about with him everywhere. The time had come when Mary had forgotten to resent Martha's familiar talk. She had even begun to find it interesting and to be sorry when it, she stopped or went away. The story she had been told by her ayah when she lived in India had been quite unlike those Mary had to tell about the moorland cottage which held 14 people who lived in four little rooms and never had quite enough to eat. The children seemed to tumble about and amuse themselves like a litter of rough, good-natured collie puppies. Mary was most attracted by the mother and Dixon. When Martha told stories of what mother said or did, they always sounded comfortable. If I had a raven or a fox cub, I could pay with it, said Mary. But I have nothing. Martha looked perplexed. Can they knit? she asked. No, answered Mary. Can they sew? No. Can they read? Yes. Then why doesn't they read something or learn a bit of spelling? That's old enough to learn thy book of good bit now. I haven't any books, said Mary. Those I had were left in India. That's a pity, said Martha. If Mrs. Medlock... Let thee go into the library. There's thousands of books there. Mary did not ask where the library was because she was suddenly inspired by a new idea. She made up her mind to go find it herself. She was not troubled about Mrs. Medlock. Mrs. Medlock seemed always to be in her comfortable housekeeping sitting room downstairs. In this queer place, one scarcely ever saw anyone at all. In fact, there was no one to see but the servants, and when their master was away, they lived a luxurious life below stairs, where there was a huge kitchen hung about with shining brass and pewter, and a large servants' hall where there were four or five abundant meals eaten every day, and where a great deal of living romping went on when Mrs. Medlock was out of the way. Mary's meals were served regularly, and Martha waited on her, but no one troubled themselves about her in the least. Mrs. Medlock came and looked at her every day or two, 
but no one inquired what she did or told her what to do. She supposed that perhaps this was the English way of treating children. In India, she had always been attended by her ayah, who had followed her about and waited on her hand and foot. She had often been tired of her company. Now she was followed by nobody and was learning to dress herself because Martha looked as though she thought she was silly and stupid when she wanted to have things handed to her or put on. Hasn't they got good sense? She asked once when Mary had stood waiting for her to put on her gloves for her. Our Susan Ann is twice as sharp as thee and she's only four years old. Sometimes they's looks fair soft in the head. Mary had worn her contrary scowl for an hour after that, but it made her think several entirely new things. She stood at the window for about ten minutes this morning after Martha had swept up the hearth for the last time and gone downstairs. She was thinking over the new idea which had come to her when she heard of the library. She'd not care for the books in the library itself because she had read very few books. But to hear of it brought back to her mind the hundred rooms with closed doors. She wondered if they were all really locked and what she would find if she could get into any of them. Were there a hundred, really? Why shouldn't she go and see how many doors she could count? It would be something to do on this morning when she couldn't go out. She had never been taught to ask permission and to do things she never, she knew nothing at all about authority, so she would not have thought it necessary to ask Mrs. Medlock if she might walk about the house, even if she had seen her. She opened the door of the room and went into the corridor, and then she began her wanderings. It was a long corridor, and it branched into other corridors, and it led up short flights of steps which mounted to others again. There were doors and doors, and there were pictures on the walls. Sometimes there were pictures of dark, curious landscapes, but oftenest there were portraits of men and women in queer, grand costumes made of satin and velvet. She found herself in one long gallery whose walls were covered with those portraits. She had never thought there could be so many in any house. She walked slowly down the place and stared at the faces, which also seemed to stare at her. She felt as if they were wondering what a little girl from India was doing in their house. Some were pictures of children, little girls in thick satin frocks, and reached to their feet and stood about them. The boys with puffed sleeved, sleeves and laced collars and long hair or with big ruffles around their necks. She always stopped to look at the children and wonder what their names were and where they had gone and why they wore such odd clothes. There was a stiff, plain little girl rather like herself. She wore a green brocade dress and held a green parrot on her finger. Her eyes had a sharp, curious look. Where do you live now? said Mary aloud to her. I wish you were here. Surely no other little girl ever spent such a queer morning. It seemed as if there was no one in all the huge rambling house but her own small self, wandering about upstairs and down, through narrow passages and wide ones, where it seemed to her that no one but herself had ever walked. 
since so many rooms had been built, much people must have lived in them, but it all seemed so empty that she could not quite believe it true. It was not until she climbed to the second floor that she thought of turning the handle of a door. All the doors were shut, as Mrs. Medlock had said they were, but at the last she put her hand on the handle of one of them and turned it. She was almost frightened for a moment when she felt that it turned without difficulty and that when she pushed upon the door itself it slowly and heavily opened. It was a massive door and opened into a big bedroom. There were embroidered hangings on the wall and inlaid furniture such as she had seen in India stood about the room. A broad window with lead panes looked out upon the mirror, the more, and over the mantel with another portrait of the stiff, plain little girl who seemed to stare at her more curiously than ever. Perhaps she slept here once, said Mary. She stares at me so that she makes me feel queer. After that, she opened more doors and more. She saw so many rooms that, that she became quite tired and began to think that there must be a hundred, though she had not counted them. In all of them, there were old pictures or old tapestries with strange scenes worked on them. There were curious pieces of furniture and curious ornaments in which all of, in nearly all of them. In one room, which looked like a lady's sitting room, the hangings were all embroidered velvet, and in a cabinet were about a hundred little elephants made of ivory. There were, <clears throat> they were of different sizes, and some had their mahats and palaquins on their backs. Some were much bigger than the others, and some were so tiny that they seemed only babies. Mary had seen carved ivory in India, and she knew all about elephants. She opened the door of the cabinet and stood on a footstool and played with these for quite a long time. When she got tired, she set the elephants in order and shut the door of the cabinet. In all her wanderings through the long corridors and empty rooms, she had seen nothing alive, but in this room she saw something. Just after she had closed the cabinet door, she heard a tiny rustling sound. It made her jump and look around at the sofa by the fireplace from which it seemed to come. In the corner of the sofa, there was a cushion, and in the velvet which covered it, there was a hole. And out of that hole peeped a tiny head with a pair of frightened eyes in it. Mary crept softly across the room to look. The bright eyes belonged to a little gray mouse and the mouse had eaten a hole into the cushion and made a comfortable nest there. Six babies were cuddled up asleep near her. If there was no one else alive in the hundred rooms, there were seven mice who did not look lonely at all. If they wouldn't be so frightened, I would take them back with me, said Mary. She had wandered about long enough to feel too tired to wander any farther, and she turned back. Two or three times she lost her way by turning down the wrong corridor and was obliged to ramble up and down until she found the right one. But at last she reached her own floor again, though she was some distance from her own room and did not know exactly where she was. I believe I have taken the wrong turn again, she said, standing still at what seemed the end of a short passage with tapestry on the wall.
I don't know which way to go. How still everything is. It was while she was standing here and just after she had said this that the stillness was broken by a sound. It was another cry, but not quite like the one she had heard last night. It was only a short one, a fretful, childish whine, muffled by passing through walls. It's nearer than it was, said Mary, her heart beating rather faster. And it's crying. She put her hand accidentally upon the tapestry near her and then sprang back feeling quite startled. The tapestry was the covering of a door which fell open and showed her that there was another part of the corridor behind it and Mrs. Medlock was coming up. It was her bunched of key it was with her bunch of keys in her hand and a very cross look on her face. What are you doing here? she said as she took Mary by the arm and pulled her away. What did I tell you? I turned the wrong corner, explained Mary. I didn't know which way to go, and I heard someone crying. She quite hated Mrs. Medlock at that moment, but she hated her more the next. You didn't hear anything of the sort, said the housekeeper. You come along back to your own nursery, or I'll box your ears. And she took her by the arm and half pushed, half pulled her, one passage and down another, until she pushed her into the door of her own room. Now! She said, you stay where you're told to stay or you'll find yourself locked up. The master had better get you a governess, same as he said he would. You're one that needs someone to look sharp after you. I've got enough to do. She went out of the room and slammed the door after her, and Mary went and sat on the hearth rug, pale with rage. She did not cry, but ground her teeth. There was someone crying. There was. There was she said to herself. She had heard it twice now, and sometimes she would find out. She had found out a great deal this morning. She felt as if she had been on a long journey, and at any rate, she had something to amuse her all the time. And she played with the ivory elephants and had seen the gray mouse and its babies in the nest in the velvet cushion. Chapter 6 the key of the garden. Two days after this, when Mary opened her eyes, she sat upright in bed immediately and called to Martha. Look at the moor! Look at the moor! The rainstorm had ended and the gray mist and clouds had been swept away in the night by the wind. The wind itself had ceased and a brilliant deep blue sky arched high over the moorland. Never, never had Mary dreamed of a sky so blue which almost seemed to sparkle like the waters of some lovely bottomless lake. And here and there, high, high in the arched blueness, floated a small, small clouds of snow-white fleece. The far-reaching world of the moor itself looked soft blue instead of gloomy purple-black or awfully dreary gray. Aye, said Martha with a cheerful grin. The storm's over for a bit. It does like this at this time of year. It goes off in the night like it was pretending it never had been here and never meant to come again. That's because the springtime's on its way. It's a long way off, but it's coming. I thought perhaps it always rained or looked dark in England, Mary said. Uh, no, 
said Martha, sitting up on her heels among her black lead brushes. Now we're the sort. What does that mean? asked Mary seriously. In India, the natives spoke different dialects, which only a few people understood. So she was not surprised when Martha used words she did not know. Martha laughed as she had done the first morning. There now, she said. I've talked broad Yorkshire again, like Mrs. Medlock said I mustn't. Now worth the sort means nothing of the sort. Slowly and carefully. But it takes so long to say, say it. Yorkshire's the sunniest place on earth when it is sunny. I told thee they'd like the more bit. Just you wait till you see the gold-colored gorse blossoms and the blossoms o' the broom and the heather flowering all purple bells and hundreds of butterflies fluttering and bees humming and skylark soaring and a singing. You'll want to get out of, get out on it at sunrise and live out on it all day like Dickens does. Could I ever get there? Asked Mary wistfully, looking through her window at the far off blue. It was so new and big and wonderful and such a heavenly color. I don't know, answered Martha. They's never had these legs since they was They's never had these legs since they was born, it seems to me. They's couldn't walk five miles. It's five miles to our cottage. I should like to see your cottage. Martha stared at her a moment curiously before she took up her polishing brush and began to rub the grate again. She was thinking that the small plain face did not quite did not look quite as sour at this moment as it had done the first morning she saw it. It looked just like a trifle, like little Susan Ann's when she wanted something very much. I'll ask my mother about it, she said. She's one of them that nearly always sees a way to do things. It's my day out today or I'm going home. Hey, I'm glad. Mrs. Medlock thinks a a mother. Perhaps she could talk to her. I like your mother, said Mary. I should think you did agreed Martha, polishing away. I've never seen her, said Mary. No, they hasn't, replied Martha. She sat up on her heels again and rubbed the end of her nose with the back of her hand, as if puzzled for a moment, but she ended quite positively. Well, she's the sensible and hard-working and good-natured and and clean that no one could help liking her whether she'd be seeing, seeing her or not. When I'm going home to her on my day out, I just jump for joy when I'm crossing the moor. I like Dickon, said Mary, and I've never seen him. Well, said Martha stoutly, I've told thee that these birds likes him and the rabbits and wild sheeps and ponies and the foxes themselves. I wonder, staring at her reflectively, what Dickon would think of thee. He wouldn't like me said Mary in her stiff, cold little way. No one does. Martha looked reflective again. How does they's like they self? She inquired, really quiet as if she were curious to know. Mary hesitated a moment and thought it over. Not at all, really, she answered, but I never thought of that before. Martha grinned a little as if 
at some homely recollection. Mother said that to me once. She said she was at her wash tub and I was in a bad temper and taken ill of folk. And she turns round on me and says, the young vixen, the there's there's they standing stand saying they doesn't like one and they's doesn't like that one. How does they's like they sell? It made me laugh and it brought me to my senses in a minute. She went away in high spirits as soon as she had given Mary her breakfast. She was going to walk five miles across the moor to the cottage and she was going to help her mother with the washing and do the week's baking and enjoy herself thoroughly. Mary felt lonelier than ever when she knew she was no longer in the house. She went out into the garden as quickly as possible and the first thing she did was to run round and round the fountain flower garden ten times. She counted the times carefully and when she had finished she felt it in better spirits. The sunshine made the whole place look different. The high, deep blue sky arched over Mistlewaith as well as over the moor, and she kept lifting her face and looking up into it, trying to imagine what it could be like to lie down on one of the little snow-white clouds and float about. She went into her first kitchen garden, into the first kitchen garden and found Ben Weatherstaff working there with two other gardeners. The change in the weather seemed to have done him good. He spoke of her own accord. Springtime's a-coming, he said. Cannot they smell it? Mary sniffed and thought she could. I smell something nice and fresh and damp, she said. That's the rich earth, he said, digging away. It's in a good... humor making ready to grow things it's glad when planting times come it's dull in the winter and it's and it's got not to do in the flower gardens out there things will be stirring down below in the dark the sun's warming them you'll see bits of green spikes sticking out out the black earth after a bit what will they be asked Mary, corcuses and snowdrops and daffodils. Has they never seen them? No, everything is hot and wet and green after the rains in India, and I think things grow up in the night. Things won't grow up in the night, said Weatherstaff. They'll have to wait for them. They'll poke up a bit here, higher here, and push out a spike more there, and uncurl a leaf that this Dave and another that. You watch him. I'm going to, said Mary. Very soon she heard the soft rustling flight of wings again, and she knew at once that the robin had come again. He was very pert and lively and hopped about to so close to her feet and put her head on one side and looked at her so slyly that she asked Ben Weatherstaff a question. Do you think he remembers me? She said. Remembers thee? said Weatherstaff indignantly. He knows every cabbage stump in the in the gardens, let alone the people. He's never seen a little wench here before, and he's bent on finding out about thee. They's no need to try to hide anything from him. Are things stirring down below in the dark in the garden where he lives? Mary inquired. What garden? 
grunted Weatherstaff, becoming surely again. The one where the old rose tree's at. She could not help asking because she wanted to know. She wanted much, wanted so much to know. Are all the flowers dead or do some of them come back again in the summer? Are there any roses? Ask him, said Ben Weatherstaff, hunched his shoulders, hunching his shoulders towards the robin. He's the only one that knows. No one else has seen inside of it for ten years. Ten years was a long time, Mary thought. She had been born ten years ago. She walked away slowly thinking. She had begun to like the garden just as she had begun to like the robin and Dickens and Mar- Martha's mother. She was beginning to like Martha too. That seemed a good a good many people to like when she were when she were not used to liking. She thought of the robin as one of the people. She went to her walk outside the long ivy covered wall over which she could see the treetops. And the second time she walked up and down, the most interesting and exciting things happened to her, and it was all through Ben Weatherstaff's robin. She'd heard a chirp and a twitter, and when she looked at the bare flower bed at her left side, there he was hopping about and pretending to peck things out of the earth to persuade her that he had not followed her. But she knew he had followed her, and the surprise so filled her with delight that she almost trembled a little. You do remember me, she cried out. You do. You are prettier than anything else in the world. She chirped and talked and coaxed and he hopped and flirted his tail and twittered. It was as if they were talking. His red waistcoat was like satin and he puffed his tiny chest out and was so fine and so grand and so pretty that it was really as if he were showing her importance how important and like a human person a robin could be. Mistress Mary forgot that she had ever been contrary in her life when she allowed her to draw closer to him and bend down and talk and try to make something like robin sounds. Oh, to think that the sound, think that he should actually let her come as near to him as that. He knew nothing in this world would make her put out her hand toward him and startle him in the least tiniest way he knew it because he was a real person only nicer than any other person in the world she was so happy that she scarcely dared to breathe the flower bed was not quite bare it was bare of flowers because the perennial plants had been cut down to their winter rest but there were tall shrubs and low ones which grew together at the back of the bed and the and as the robin hopped about underneath, she saw him hop over a small pile of freshly turned up earth and stopped on it to look for a worm. The earth had been turned up because a dog had been trying to dig up a mole and he had scratched quite a deep hole. Mary looked at it, not really knowing why the hole was there, and so she looked as she looked, she saw something almost buried in the newly turned soil. It was something like a ring of rusty iron or brass, and when the robin flew up into a nearby tree, she put out her hand and picked picked the ring up. It was more than a ring, however. It was an old key, which looked as if it had been buried a long time. 
Mistress Mary stood up and looked at it with an almost frightened face as it hung from her finger. Perhaps it had been buried for ten years, she said in a whisper. Perhaps it's the key to the car.